Stealing money from a high school? Okay, boomer. Welcome to episode 7 of the Mutant Musings Evolution Podcast for the beginning of April 2021. I'm Jonathan, and with me as always is my painting that doubles as a secret safe. Patty! Remember to leave us a comment on this episode's webpage on geekade.com. Leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes or anywhere else you find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast. And follow us on Twitter at mutant musings. Please leave us ratings and reviews on your podcast app or you're going to make Patty angry. Don't make Patty angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Do you know what happens when Patty gets angry because you didn't leave us a rating and a review? Patty smash! But you can stop Patty from becoming a giant rage monster and leveling a city just by leaving us a review. Patty is the strongest there is. Listeners, help save lives. Patty is not human, little men. Patty is Patty. We appreciate your feedback, and if you leave us ratings and reviews, Patty can finally do the one thing she loves the most. Patty sleep. And speaking of smash, fuck, fucking, fucked. Hell yes, smash fucking. These are bad words, and we say them often. So does Smash Bros mean you're fucking your bros? You'll find no talk of light-hearted battle gaming here. The only smashing we discuss is nuts to butts. Can Smash Bros be hoes? Whip out that sword and prepare for a super smash of ultimate bad language and innuendo. Right until that last drip of final smash. Can you imagine Link and Sephiroth sword fighting? There's your explicit content warning. I do every night. (laughs) DJ Scritches. That's me. <laughs> yep. Yeah, scritching, scritching on the... Yeah, so so when we were when we were testing out the recording, I kept hearing the scritchy noise from Patty's end. And I was like, are you filing your nails? And she's like, no, I'm doing a scritch. And I'm like, oh, you're doing a, you're doing a scratch-off ticket. And she's like, nope, I'm doing the scritch. I'm like, are you, are you picking your butt? What are you, what are you scritching? Are you scritching your crotch? DJ, <laughs> DJ scritch? Yeah. That's not what it was. She was doing a puzzle. That was a pencil on the puzzle. Yes. I I like doing these Japanese puzzle things that nobody has ever heard of. They're called logic puzzles or nonograms. I don't remember the other names for it, but it's like the puzzles from... uh, Oh, Picross. That's what they call it. There was a Mario Picross game. That yeah. I really want, but it's really expensive. And, uh, you know, uh, I got them in these magazines that are imported from Japan. I have um, this Japanese bookstore that I go to every so often to pick them up. I have a subscription, so I like doing them a lot. I can't watch TV without doing these or cross-stitching because I don't have the attention span. I need to be doing something with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you something to scritch, DJ. Thanks. I want to go back. I want I want the Obanyaki. <laughs> I wanted Obanyaki last time, and there was a line outside, like, all the way around the building because they're limiting people. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Well, New Jersey don't give a fuck anymore now. I'm sure they're at full capacity. Everybody can go in. No, I doubt that. Really? You don't think so? No. New Jersey is, uh, they're, they're opening, yeah, they, they just came out with a thing that they're letting fucking bars and restaurants or whatever be open, like, through the night now. They don't have those early closing times. They, uh, they, they increase the capacity, uh, for people to go in. Um, then again, the Japanese are smarter than us fucking white people. So yeah, they, you might be they right. they always wore masks anyway, even before yeah. a pandemic, even if they just, it was, like, cold season. So... That's why I think that it's going to be a little bit different there. We can give it a try. So how you doing, Patty? Is that it? That's all that's going on? Yeah, I mean, I've been playing a lot of Assassin's Creed. It's been good, Valhalla, because I got my PS5. Hopefully going to stay with Jonathan soon. Yeah, no, I guess that's it. I have been playing video games, mostly on my fancy new Switch. I hadn't played A Link to the Past in a long time, so I I, I played that. I think I talked about it a little bit on the last episode that I was going through it. Yeah. So I beat that. And then I, I decided I want to go, I wanted to go right to a link between worlds because I never played those games back to back. And you know, one is like, you know, the 
sequel. And so so I played through that and I beat that. And that was really interesting to play those two games back to back. It really was. But uh, but yeah, it was good. And then I decided to get uh, Link's Awakening. I had never played through too much of that game in my life. Uh, when I was young, my cousins who are close to my age had a Game Boy and they had Link's Awakening. I never had it. Uh, so I would only play it when they were around and I'd be like, yo, bring your, bring your Game Boy, bring Link's Awakening. I never made it too far. Uh, I really didn't. And so, yeah, so at this, at this point, as of today, I'm almost done. I just beat Eagle Rock, which was such a huge pain in the ass. Oh my fucking God. I hated that dungeon, but I beat it today. And so I think I'm almost done with the game. I got to figure out where to go next. Because it said something about an ocarina. I'm like, I have an ocarina. But I don't know if I'm just supposed to go to the windfish. Also, I have this sneaking suspicion that this is all a dream. Because that seems to be what the game is telling me. No spoilers. By the time you people hear this, I'll be done with it. Patty, don't spoil it. But I have a feeling that when they say Link's awakening, it's because they mean Link is dreaming. And I am going to be super pissed. If Marin is a dream, because Marin is so cute, she deserves her own fucking game. And according to Geekade, according to Geekade Chris, the only other game that she appeared in was the fucking Hyrule Warriors, where she's a playable character. And that is bullshit. That is bullshit, and that's sexist, and I fucking hate it. So anyway, what I'm saying is they should make a sequel to Link's Awakening so they can bring Marin back, and they can call it Link's Asleepening. That's what I think. <laughs> I don't okay. know. Do you have Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> um, I played through the remake on the Switch uh, last year, and I yeah. don't even remember what happens. I don't know if you're right or not. I forget. <laughs> it was a while ago. <laughs> okay, because people are saying now to to Link in the game, like, like if the windfish wakes, this all disappears. Everything here goes away. Yeah. Like, way to, way to fucking go. Like, are we really trying to commit, like, genocide in this game? Like, that's, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. But I like the game. Uh, I really like the style on, on the Switch, what they did. It's absolutely gorgeous. There are a couple of, like, technical issues with it, with, like, slowdown and bullshit like that. But, uh, but anyway, it's good. So that was fun talking about the Japanese and uh, video games. So, uh, so anyway, so we got some cartoons to talk about. So we're in season two, uh, still, episode three. This one's titled Bada Bing Bada Boom. Hell yeah. Bada Bing Bada Boom Boom. Yeah. Hey, when look at I, you. As soon as I saw this title, I was like, oh man, I hope this one's about Boom Boom. I love her. Still haven't been able to wear my fucking Boom Boom cosplay. You should just fucking put it on at home and take pictures. I will, but I need the suspenders and I've just been putting it off because I can't go anywhere anyway. Patty, you are correct. This is about Boom Boom. It is about Boom Boom. Uh-oh. It is not about... Uh-oh. <laughs> Raz has something to say about that. Maybe Raz doesn't like Boom Boom. Raz. Maybe because her name is Tabby, and Tabby's like a cat, and uh-huh. Raz is a dog. Bark. <laughs> Bark. So, so anyway... Um, yeah, no, this is, this episode is, is about Boom Boom. I really like this because in the span of one episode, they completely set up this character, made her totally endearing, and then, like... Took her away from us. Well, spoilers, okay? She does not completely disappear. She does come back. But the thing is, is, like, the ending of this episode is not, like, wrapped up (laughs) nicely, you know, it's not like happy, heartwarming ending. Everything is okay from here on out with Boom Boom. You know, I mean, it kind of ends on a funny note, but but still, I really appreciated what they did for her character. It set her up as like very sassy and humorous um, and rebellious without being like overtly shitty, like the Brotherhood mm-hmm. say. But yeah, so it opens in a, a danger room session. And Scott is waiting for Tabitha to come down and rescue Kurt. And, you know, she's just blasting music on her fucking headphones. Uh, She goes down to rescue Kurt. She's flirting with him. Uh, She uses her foot to kill... He's supposed to be injured, right? He's like an injured civilian. (laughs) She uses her foot 
to kick him into the fucking stretcher that's on a rope. And she yells to Wolverine, yo, Badger, tug us up. <laughs> that was great. She she doesn't like the name Nightcrawler, so she calls him Wild Blue Yonder Boy. Um, yeah, so so again, it's it's really funny. She's she's really disruptive. She starts throwing little time bombs at the cliff when they're being pulled up, and you know, Kurt is is sort of into it. You know, you can see he's happy, he's smiling. Until he's not. Yeah, then he actually gets knocked out. <laughs> it's all fun and games until somebody gets knocked out. So Tabby and Kurt get punished for for horsing around. So then, then we see that the Brotherhood has their own house now. I thought they had a house. They didn't show it before this. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, where the fuck were they living? <laughs> and obviously it's like it's like really gross. Toad, Toad is trying to get into Mystique's room. Uh, it's really funny. He keeps just throwing himself against the door. They have no food. Uh, everything is like disgusting and gross. And Toad is just trying to get into the room to see if they can find some money. Those poor fucking kids. And like Avalanche was like, oh, if when Mystique comes back and sees that you've been in her room, she's going to be pissed. And he's like, Mystique's not coming back. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, they don't think that Mystique is ever coming back. They think Mystique is gone and gone forever. But that was, uh, yeah, that was like a, a quick cutaway to just kind of give these could they give the brotherhood a little bit of motivation for later so things kind of tie in and make sense so now we start getting to the conflict of the episode is here principal kelly announcing the bayville high carnival um you know the, the gym got destroyed uh during episode one of this season so they're trying to raise money for the repairs uh while he's talking about it uh he gets off the intercom and then he talks to like the secretary about the safe like all the the money from the carnival is going to go in this safe and at that moment Tabitha's dad stops by and he seems like a little creepy like you can tell he's trying to be like polite but it's also voiced and shown in a way that makes it look like there this guy is seedy something is wrong with him as soon as they showed dad, I was like, oh, God, get her away from here. Yeah. And then when they said that she had, like, um, like a restricted visiting list or something. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're going the comic route with this. Um, and for those of you who might not know, I, I don't remember if it was Boom Boom's first appearance, but it was very early in her history where we learned that her dad was uh an abusive drunk yeah like physically abusive and she was homeless she ran away and she was living on the streets and that's when she ran into the beyonder that was her first appearance in secret wars too yeah yeah yeah, yeah so that's the route that i figure they're gonna go with this sh- uh, on the show but i guess that would have been too dark so they kind of just made him like emotionally abusive or at least manipulative exactly he wants her to he just wants to take advantage of her powers she's like i don't want anything to do with you i don't want to see you and he's like just help us get some money and and she's like then i don't have to see you again and he's like if that's what you want so clearly he does not care about his daughter at all and he's just using her as a means to an end exactly and so so that's the thing what what I thought like you you used the word manipulative and that's exactly it because when he meets her in the school because he he basically like he doesn't just leave the school when the secretary is like oh restricted visitor list he doesn't just leave he finds her and he doesn't say immediately like this is what I want you to do he tries to come off as like oh I want to see you I miss you and like she is not happy to see him at all so you you know something's wrong Plus, he made this look at the painting that the safe was behind. For some reason, people in the show like to hide things between painti- behind paintings. <laughs> you have Xavier hiding his fucking secret TV behind a painting. Oh, and yeah. Now we, have, now we have a safe. I guess that's a thing. That's a thing that people do. So he does. So Mr. Mr. Smith does go visit the institute where the secretary told him. And you can see even Xavier is trying to like politely tell Mr. Smith no. He has no parental rights and wants him to leave. And like you you explicitly know something's wrong when Smith tells Xavier like I know what kind of place you're running here. You want like news cameras here and like all this kind of shit. I just want to talk to my daughter. And so that's when he convinces her to pull this fucking job 
Oh, just we just need to get the creditors off off our backs. Oh, you know how hard your mom has had it. Blah blah blah. He's just a manipulative, abusive asshole. Uh, in the comics, yeah, like you you see him, like he's got his hand raised at her. He gave her a black eye. Uh, and just because he's not, they don't show him hitting her here, doesn't make him any less of a scumbag. Uh, because you would not put it past this guy to hit her. Just because they're not going to put it in a kid's cartoon doesn't mean that that's not this type of guy. And it's crazy. It's crazy to see Tabitha, like, hurt and concerned and sad over this. Because every other time you see her in this episode, she is just... Partying and having fun. Yeah, that's all she's about. Just upbeat, having fun, doing stupid shit. You know, I mean... She's trying to get her locker open. She can't get it open. She puts a fucking time bomb to blast it open, looks inside and goes, huh, this isn't my locker. (laughs) Before she she goes to to her own locker. And then Kurt comes by and, you know, she's still being flirty with him. She, like, steals his, like, uh, one one of his books for her class. And when she gives it back, he's all smitten. She even dots her eyes with little explosions. So, like, you can tell that he's, like, into her, and, like, she's, like, being flirty with him. And, like, it's, you know, it's all really cute. At first, I really thought that she was just playing with him because she knew his powers and that they might come in useful for a hype. But um, I'm not sure if that's what happens. No, I think that she genuinely thinks that he's cute. I mean, you know, maybe she just is flirty that's her nature and that's fine she kind of seemed like it and there's nothing wrong with that but I, I i do think that she recognized that kurt was a good guy she did take advantage of him obviously but yeah i, I mean I, I i think she did like him and recognize he was a good guy even if she took advantage of him um but you know like also we see that you know she's not this studious polite kid who follows the rules it's it's pretty clear if it wasn't clear in the danger room session it's clear when she comes across avalanche who is like shaking a soda out of the vending machine and she puts a time bomb in there and makes it explode so so she can get one too for free and he says to her oh you know you'd fit right in at our place um so you can already see like she has a bit more in common with the brotherhood than she might with the with the X-Men. I guess she's like chaotic neutral, maybe? <laughs> yeah. In terms that the kids will understand today. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Tabitha and Kirk got in trouble for the danger room. So they're sort of like grounded. And they're not allowed to go to the carnival. But Tabitha needs to get there to meet up with her dad. And so, I mean, obviously she doesn't tell Kurt that. She doesn't want anybody to know. But she talks to him because she knows that he can teleport the two of them there. But they do have fun. And so that's that's what I really liked about this. Um, and made me think that Tabitha, yeah, maybe she's a flirt. And again, that's absolutely fine. But I think she, she really likes Kurt and she genuinely enjoyed the time that she had with him. Because they're going on fucking rides. They're go- she's still causing trouble. Yeah, playing pranks on people. That was great. Yeah. Making Blob's sandwich explode in his face. Yeah, that was hilarious. Whatever the, what is it, with the Tilt-A-Whirl or something? Yeah. She blew up the controls so it went, like, super fast. It's only when Kurt realizes what time it is. They had been gone for two hours uh, by the time Tabitha sees her dad. So that's what makes me think the two of them were really having fun together. Yeah, yeah. I, I Now that you say it like that, I kind of agree. Like, she didn't have to deal with him for that long if she wasn't truly interested in him in some way. Yeah, she could have ditched him. But we see Jean is there with Duncan. Scott is sitting on the Ferris wheel by himself. <laughs> until, yeah, and so one of Jean's friends, I'm pretty sure we've seen her before. I could be wrong. But her name is Taryn. She comes and sits next to Scott on the Ferris wheel before it starts and says, like, oh, hanging out with Jean and Duncan, it was like being the third wheel. And then Jean looks up when the Ferris wheel starts and sees that Scott and Taryn are together. So whoop, jealousy. But we needed to find out that, you know, the other X-Men were at the carnival too, because, you know, the the trouble is really about to start. Tabitha sees her dad 
and she goes off with him. So, so Tabitha busts the lock on on the safe. Tabitha and her dad are starting to run away, but at the carnival, Fred and Lance saw Tabby and her dad and followed them. So, you know, once the ca- the bag of cash is out, Toad hops in and steals it, and Mr. Smith yells at Tabitha to use her powers against Lance and Fred, and then the X-Men show up. So everybody starts fighting to grab this bag of cash until finally it gets back to Mr. Smith. He runs away. He's like on the roof and the roof breaks and he's falling through. And Tabitha's like, the roof, the roof (laughs) is on fire. Great, Patty. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, You can see this genuine concern in Tabitha's eyes for her father when he's falling through the roof and Tabitha's holding out her hand and yells, Daddy, it's either he grabs her or he grabs the cash. And what does the fucker do? He grabs for the cash. And they both start to fall, and Nightcrawler catches them. Mr. Smith hits Kurt with the bag of cash and runs out the door as Tabitha chases him, and then, you know, the cops are there. And so that was fucking heartbreaking. You know, like, this poor teenage girl manipulated by her scumbag of a father into committing a fucking crime. And all she wants is for him to be okay. She, she, you know, she sees his life is in danger and tries to save him. And he still chooses the fucking money over the help from his daughter. And so that speaks volumes of his character and the type of pain that she's been through. You know, like we, we don't know about her life before this, but we still have a good idea that mom is probably, you would think she's a nice lady um, who got manipulated by this scumbag and, you know, they had a child together. And so she's roped up in this. She's obviously got feelings for her own father. She cares about him, but she knows that how awful he is. And so it was just painful to see, you know, I mean, I'll get it. I'm not going to get into my own personal situations with this, but again, coming back to a woman with a good heart being duped by a manipulative scumbag. And then a child is born into it and is also duped by a manipulative scumbag. I've seen that in my life. <laughs> I've seen that in my family. Um, and it also, uh, I think speaks to boom, boom's personality, you know, because she's her behavior is is not quite on par with the brotherhood but you can see the tendencies there she's not super abusive like we've seen both lance and fred be yeah she's chaotic neutral (laughs) but but she's willing to put a small time bomb in a vending machine a vending machine so she can get a free soda um she's just constantly goofing off and just wants to have fun and doesn't want to take things seriously that she should take seriously and that's something that I can identify with. She puts up this wall. This is this this barrier uh, to those hurt feelings that she carries inside and puts on this upbeat facade on the outside. And that's something that I can identify with. And I think that makes her like a really, a deeper, it really delves into her characterization. It makes her a deeper character, more relatable, more likable, and makes it even that much more sad when you see her walking out of the police station towards the end, looking just devastated, wondering what's going to happen to her father, and saying to Xavier and Kurt that she's going back to the Institute so she can pack and leave. And Kurt tries to stop her, and she's like, no, I just don't think it's a good fit. And that was fucking heartbreaking. That was heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, she did say for now, but... I mean, we get a little glimpse into her life because uh, I forget who it was that said, um, oh, just give her a little bit and she'll see how good she had it here or whatever. And I think it was Nightcrawler said, I I have the feeling that this is not the first time she's had to like live by herself. Maybe she just needs some time to see what it's really like out there on her own. Oh, right. Uh, that's what it was. And then Kurt was like, something tells me that she already knows. Yeah, so I think that hinted at her, like, actual backstory of being homeless. Yeah, I I, I absolutely believe that that's, that that's possible. Now, this this episode doesn't end on a complete, uh, on a completely sad note. It's still a kid's show. <laughs> <laughs> but 
You know, this wasn't like boom, boom, walking off by herself and then never to be seen again. She oh, goes that, that classic issue when Scott leaves the X-Men and he's got the, uh, what do they call it? The little <laughs> hobo bag. And, oh my God, Patty. <laughs> and it has the Toys R Us ad that you could win $2,500 or something. Patty, that's the hobo bag, really? <laughs> I forget what it's called. I would have called it a knapsack. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's got like a specific name. Does it really? Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Because listen, I, as somebody who's in marketing, I will tell you, hobo bag is not the <laughs> name you want to go with. You can just say Scott Sack, Patty. Just... Binzel Stiff. Patty, excuse me? Don't you call me that. What did you say <laughs> No, to me? wait. That's, what's, that's what somebody is called that's called. Okay. So it's called a Binzel. And a person <laughs> who carries one is a Bindle Stiff. Patty, you're making up shit. No. Making... This is nonsense. <laughs> Bindle Stiff, those are not words. Okay, well, Stiff is. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's Scott Stiff Summers. Absolutely. I'm Googling this. I don't believe Bindle. No, not the Bible. B-I-N-D-L-E. Bindle Stiff Family Circus? What? All right, so fine. Bindle Stiff is a thing. I, I'm i going to choose to ignore it from now on. Okay. Um, well, the bag itself is called a Bindle. Are you telling me that Scott is Bindle Stiff? He sure is. He's not just Stiff, Patty. Scott is Bindle Stiff. <laughs> All right, what were we talking about? Oh, Tabby, right. Yeah, uh, she did not leave forever with a bindle. No, she shows up at the Brotherhood house. Yeah, It was hilarious when she walked in, because let's be real, Boom Boom is attractive, and they made her attractive in this show. She was cute. So she walks in, and all the dudes are just staring at, at her with their mouths open a little bit, like, what? And uh, she said something about there being, like, room upstairs, and Blob just, like, nods his head and she tickles his chin and she goes and finds the door that's locked mystique's door and she <laughs> she blows it up <laughs> and they can't believe it the four of them go upstairs and are looking at her walk into this gorgeous gorgeous room with this huge bed these like beautiful sheets and curtains and furniture and canopy she just like, throws her stuff on the bed and says something about, like, um... She's like, what are you guys doing? Get out of my room. Yeah, and just closes the door. And that's how it ends. So, yeah, so she's not in the best place. Because she's chilling, like, living with the Brotherhood now. But, you know, at least she's safe. She's got a roof over her head. And then, who is it? Blob, I think? It was like, oh, we can't have a girl living in the Brotherhood. And Lance or somebody was like, you tell her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because right? she didn't even ask permission. She just walks in and is like, "Hey, I'm living here now." Bye. When she walked in, she took the bottle of water out of Lance's hand. They don't have any running water. They the city shut off the water on them. The bottle of water Lance had, she took out of his hand. It was fantastic. It was yeah, great. He drank it and then she threw it on the floor. I love her. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they have a bunch of kids there now. Maybe they can get jobs, or they can rob people. <laughs> One of those things. I mean, Patty, typically in life, which way are you going to go? You've got one of two ways to go. You can either go get a job or you can rob people. You know, exactly. Uh, sometimes some people do both. You know, yeah. why not? Make make a little extra. It's called the side hustle. You know, <laughs> you, got your, you got your main job and you got your side hustle robbing people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a great episode. This is one of my favorite episodes of the whole fucking show so far. I'm so glad that they immediately did her uh, such justice in this show. Yes. And it's crazy because I'm looking at somebody like Spike, who's supposed to be a main cast member, and they've barely done anything good with him at all. Yes, I love I love Boom Boom. I think that this interpretation of her is spot on. I wouldn't have changed anything, really. Boom Boom is one of my favorite characters. Like, she's on my top five. And uh, I think they really did her justice in this show. So, do you think the Brotherhood is about to have a meltdown over a girl joining the house? That's funny, because Tabby went by meltdown in the comics. Do you think her presence there is like a ticking time bomb? That's also funny, because Tabby went by time bomb in the comics. Don't venture off into the wild blue yonder, boy, because we'll be right back after the commercial break. 
All this Shakespeare reading has got me hearing everyone talking like a Shakespeare play. Et tu, rogue? The lady doth protest too much, methinks. Here, lay thine eyes on geekade.com. Wow, Scott. Look at all these podcasts and articles. You know I love horror, anime, and music. A geekade.com by any other name would smell as sweet. Oh, I see. Geekade.com has so much more. Look at all these topics. I know you love comic books and wrestling, and your brother loves video games. Cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. Geekade.com sure has something for everyone. Shall I compare Geekade to a summer's day? Geekade.com art more lovely and more temperate. Geekade even has YouTube and Twitch channels. To geek or not to geek? That is the question. I choose to geek and I choose Geekade.com. Fair listener! Feast thine eyes upon geekade.com this present day. Alright. Next episode we're talking about season two, episode four. Fun and games. Yay. I like fun and I also like games. Oh. Sign me up. Then this is the episode for you. It, uh, It has arcade in it. Gasp. I hate that guy. I know you do. Fucking hate that guy. Because of Avengers Underground, Undercover, <laughs> Arena, whatever it's called. Yes, Avengers Underground. <laughs> Avengers Six Feet Under. That's, that's, what that's what it is. Which is when the Avengers went death metal. Somebody out there is going to get that joke. I get it. Good. I'm I right like here six, and I get it. I like Six Feet Under. All right, anyway. So yeah, so Arcade's in this one. I fucking hate him. I hate him. I don't hate him. To be fair, this episode wasn't his fault because he didn't know. Yeah, but he is still a little shit stain. He didn't have a bow tie. (laughs) You know what, Patty? You're right. You win. You win. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. He didn't have a fucking bow tie. Um, He didn't look exactly like fucker Carlson. Therefore, he gets a pass. Thank you. I am the debate team captain. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, I, I still, I liked, I liked this episode. It, it was, it was fun. Not necessarily for the main story or for arcade, but but it was still fun. So, Juggernaut. Speaking of underground. Uh, it's not the Avengers that are underground. It's Juggernaut that's still underground. Oops. Yeah, something is wrong with uh, with his fucking containment. So, you know, Xavier gets a call that he has to go help. You know, the, the, the kids want to go, and he says no, uh, because Storm is in Africa, and Logan is out on the open road. Logan is doing what Logans do best. <laughs> we don't know what that is. But but Scott and Gene are in charge while he's gone. That's cute. I think that's cute. Mom and dad. <laughs> it's funny because this happens in, in the middle of the fucking night. And Scott says, all right, how about we start the day with some danger room calisthenics? <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> Gene is like, don't let the power go to your head, Professor S. This is great. She called him Professor S. Yeah. The S is for stiff, as in bindle stiff. <laughs> So anyway, at school, so so you can see that so far in the show that you know Scott and Jean, they're not they're not actually dating, but it's sort of like that thing where it's like they're 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 close, and it's like only a matter of time sort of deal. Yeah, because he hasn't ha- asked her out. Yeah, uh, but you know we got to throw some hurdles in the way because it can't just be easy. We- we've been seeing Jean with Duncan. But last episode, we got Taryn on the Ferris wheel with Scott. And so now at school, Taryn is like, you know, being all giggly with Scott and like really wants him to take off his shades so she can see his eyes. And, you know, Jean is snooping. She's eavesdropping on them. And, you know, Taryn giggles and runs away. And then Scott catches Jean eavesdropping and calls her out for being jealous. So, so yeah, like I said, there's got to be some hurdles in the way. The two of them, the scenes with them were some of my favorite in this episode. I don't know how you feel about it, but that's that's what I think. 
honestly, neither of them has any right to be jealous because they're the ones who are, you know, fucking up or whatever. But they're teenagers, Patty. That's that's what happens. Well, I don't know. I was never a teenager, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> what the fuck? I just, I feel like, you know, Duncan is probably like the pursuer when it comes to him and Gene. And you can tell that Taryn is coming on strong when it comes to Scott. So like, you know, Scott and Gene, when it comes to each other, have like nobody's like been the initiator there. Oh, it's like love is war. Yeah, sort of. Guys, if if you haven't watched Kaguya-sama colon Love is War, you should because it's fantastic. Yeah, it's a funny anime. But yeah, so yeah, okay. So there you made an anime connection. Boom. There we go. All right, <laughs> point made. So anyway, um, to get the plot going, uh, Risty. Which is such a weird name. Yeah, and so is Taryn. That's not a name. Taryn is absolutely a name. Are you serious? Taryn is the name of Marin's father in Link's Awakening. Don't <laughs> you dare try and tell me it's not a name. Patty, we just discussed that I am playing that game. It is a name. Taryn is a name. Okay, and they never make up names for video games. They never do. And also, Risty is short for aristocrat. yes her name is aristocrat wild that's her name betty (laughs) shit yours was better than mine i was gonna say risty is short for ristine which is just short for christine but let's go with i thought you were gonna say it risty is short for ristique (laughs) oh my god Uh... yeah Spoiler talk, right? I called it. <laughs> I know. Anyway, yeah. So so Risty is hanging out with with this guy who's playing this computer game during computer class and is like, oh, they don't call me arcade for nothing. And right, so there's there's a brief introduction to arcade. Um but after class, Kitty and Risty are talking about parties. Nobody's having a party this weekend. Oh, but if only, and Risty's like, oh, but if only we could find somebody whose, you know, parents were out of town. And so, like, all the kids are like, oh, shit, Xavier's gone. So let's have a party. And so here's something that I caught. What did you catch? There's a shot of Rogue from inside her locker. You can see a couple of books she has inside. Patty, I swear to you. She has a magazine inside her locker called Goth Topic Magazine. <laughs> it literally says Goth Topic. Before this episode gets published, or maybe around the time this episode goes up, I will post a screenshot, because I got a screenshot of it. Magazine says Goth Topic. That's amazing. I fucking love it so much. So, anyway, I mean, it's like this is like barely even a subplot, the whole Xavier... And Juggernaut thing, and there's a reason why. But, you know, big malfunction with Kane's containment. They get Xavier there in case it goes wrong, so Xavier can shut him down. Um, They get the the malfunction figured out in time. But as Xavier is there, he realizes that it was sabotage. So... Malfeasance. Yeah, that's a fancier word. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, so the kids want a party, but the problem is, is that Gene and Scott are good kids. Mom and dad gotta get mom and dad out of the house so we can party. So, plan. They make a plan to tell them to meet on this hill because they tell Gene Scott wants to talk to her and they tell Scott Gene wants to talk to him on top of this hill or whatever. And then Kurt is zapping around in the backgrounds, taking their shit. He took their phone. He took the keys to the car that Scott drove. (laughs) So they're like stranded on this hill. Jean thinks that he set this up. And Scott thinks that she set it up. And, you know, purposely like had Duncan drive her there. So they like start fighting for a while. (laughs) Then they get, you know, they find a, a pickup truck going past. And 
manage to hitch a ride back to the Institute and see there's a party going on. And they're like, oh, guess the kids wanted a party. I guess it wasn't really your fault after all. It was so cute, though. The two of them bickering on the hill and in the car. Jean, like, with her lip pushed out. And when she said, like, oh, yeah, so believable. How she, like, rolled her eyes. Like, that was some of the best animation they've done in this show. Uh, I, I loved it. I loved her facial expressions. Like, their, their bickering was so funny. But then they're in the pickup. And he, like, the driver runs over a bump. And so she, like, sort of, like, falls onto Scott. And they're, like, looking at each other and, like, almost blushing. You know? Like, I, I, I just, I thought it was so cute. I really did. But, yeah. So, so you know, it's not just the X-Men and, like, Risty and the New Mutants. It's a bunch of kids from school partying in the Institute. But Risty brought her new friend, Arcade, and leads him through the mansion into this fucking big computer. And he's super excited for the computer, which happens to be Cerebro. And of course, because he's a fucking computer whiz, he hacks into the fucking system to get into uh, Cerebro and then have the headpiece recognize him uh, as the primary user. And, you know, Risty and him, they see like all these files on the new mutants and Risty's like, ooh, who are they? And he just thinks it's a fucking game. And she's like, oh, can you download these files? She said she needed them for her computer class. But, like, you're wondering, like, why is Risty acting like this, though? Because this is really shady. You know, we've seen her as Rogue's friend. Why is she so interested in Arcade and downloading these files? But, yeah, so he finds the danger room. He activates it. And so the defenses on the lawn go up. Scott and Jean are there. Uh, Everything starts blasting at them. And so I thought it was really cool how, you know, they fucking... They change into their costumes. Gene telekinetically has this huge bubble around them, flies them through this fucking, like, the the hangar when everything's blasting at them, and, like, the two of them are just taking out all of the mansion's defenses by themselves. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I thought that the two of them had, like, these really, like, almost lover's quarrel moments with their little hissy fits, a couple of, like, cute little romantic e moments, and then a couple of badass moments. The two of them, I think, were, were my favorite parts. And Arcade is not just activating the stuff outside. He also activated the danger room, and Rogue got, like, a notification on her watch or something. So they all go down to check it out. They're like, why is the danger room activated? Who got in here? Is Cerebro on? What is going on? So yeah. Nightcrawler decides that he's going to port into the room and turn it off and he ends up getting hit by a laser and getting knocked out so kitty's like what is taking him so long let me look and then she sees him passed out so they have to go rescue him and then kitty gets passed out (laughs) it's a little silly it was i mean you know the action sequence with all them was was a bit silly but uh, they they realize what's going on and they manage to get into the control room, which is where Cerebro is. And, you know, Rogue just touches his neck and he and he passes out. <laughs> None of the kids who were still at the party knew what the fuck was going on. They had no idea about the danger room, no idea about the mansion's defenses, the guns blasting on the lawn. They just got in their cars and they left. <laughs> which, thank God. Thank God, right? But Arcade is awake, hanging out. The X-Men are trying to talk to him as Xavier comes in and everybody... He, he, he tells the kids telepathically, Arcade did not realize who any of them were. He thought everything he was doing was a video game. So it's not like, oh, that was Kitty Pride down there, you know, using her phasing powers. And also you almost killed her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he thought that that legitimately all was a fucking game. But then we find out uh, what was going on with Risty and why she wanted all that information downloaded. It's because Risty is actually Mystique in disguise. Gasp. And she is the one who sabotaged Kane's cage thing. Yeah. So that um professor x would have to be out of the institute and she was the one who asked kitty hey are there any parties 
well, if somebody's parents are out of town, we can make our own party. So she's the one who set this all up from the beginning. Right. And um, to be honest, that was, uh, you know, that was fucking, that, that was pretty good. That was pretty good of her. I kind of like how they how they did that. You know, she fucking played Xavier for a complete fool. He had no idea. He could not get a read on who else was in the mansion. He knows somebody else was in there for a sneaky reason, but he couldn't get a read on it. And that was really well done by Mystique. So again, I mean, I liked this episode. I thought the plot was okay, especially um, Mystique's plans. I thought were super interesting and super well done. Xavier, it made Xavier look like a moron. Uh, so bonus points. <laughs> you know, the party was kind of cute, but really for me, like, you know, the, the, the best part of all this for me was Scott and Jean. I don't know. What did you think? I thought that the writers just thinking that far ahead and planning like all of these like small things that Mystique was planting like the whole episode was really smart. Um, so I think the writing was really good. So... Yeah, no, I didn't even realize some of the things that she had done until they did that reveal. And I think it really showed what, you know, Mystique is is capable of. You know, I mean, in season one, she was their principal. And she was just trying to egg Rogan, you know, to hate the X-Men and want to join the Brotherhood. And it wasn't, you know, I mean, the the plans there were kind of silly. I mean, you had the the first episode with Rogue. You had Mystique shape-shifting into all of the X-Men shape-shifting into Wolverine, howling like a fucking pig wolf or something. Um, <laughs> whereas this was much... It shows Mystique as smarter. Um, a smarter sort of villain. And when you think about it, you think about Mystique for, for a couple of episodes now, posing as Risty, trying to get close to Rogue. What's really going on there? Is it solely because Mystique as Risty uh, wanted to get inside the mansion? Or is it so she can be closer with Rogue? Is there is is that part of it too? Yeah, she probably misses her daughter. Maybe, but that's something else to think about. So the writing is is much smarter so far this season than last season. But you know, aside from just liking the scenarios with Scott and Jean, I think this too is starting to set them up as like you know, like you know, you're calling them mom and dad, and I'm thinking like, well. You know, I mean, it's kind of setting them up to sort of be like the responsible leaders of these kids. Like, we still have, like, the rest of the main cast. It's not just, like, the new mutants who are probably a little bit younger than everyone. They're still shown to be, like, the leaders of this team, the responsible ones, as opposed to Kitty and Kurt and Spike and Rogue, who were like, you know, oh, yeah, let's have a fucking party. So I think it's it's interesting that it's like setting up Scott and Gene to be like the leaders of this team. No, you're 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 right. I I feel like they've kind of um I've had that feeling. I mean, obviously because I know the comics, but like throughout the whole show, it's been like they're the two responsible ones. They're going to be the ones leading this team. You know, as, well, especially when, you know, the adults aren't there like Logan and Storm and whatever. But yeah, no, they they definitely seem like the two who are going to be in charge. Yeah, so I mean, like I said, I I like this and I love the two of them. All right, last episode we're talking about is episode five, the Beast of Bayville. I wonder if this one's about Beast. It's about Boom Boom. Ah. Uh... <laughs> uh, so I kind of like this one. I I don't particularly like the characterization that Spike is getting. Because it's not, like, really getting too deep. He's just kind of a, a bit of a slacker. And that's that's kind of that's kind of it. Spike and Kurt are in... Are, uh, they're both in Hank's chemistry class. And Evan skips class to go skateboarding with his buddies. Uh, but something is wrong with Hank. He goes to the bathroom. He's, like, you know, growling and thrashing and trashes the bathroom. Evan hears... Evan is skating in the park later and hears, hears someone in the park uh, and goes to this amphitheater and sees that it's Hank. And he's quoting something smart-sounding, which I was assuming... <laughs> I'm a, which I assumed when I was watching this was Shakespeare. It was. And yeah. Thanks, Patty. You're the Shakespeare expert. You're very Shakespearean. I took a Shakespeare class in college, remember? 
Yes, Patty, I do remember. Okay. I do remember. You were taking it when we met. Yes. Uh, before we had our morals class together, you had your Shakespeare class. Yes. But <laughs> I I um, had to memorize some lines from Hamlet when I was in high school. So that's why I remember it. Because I didn't really spend much time actually doing assignments in that college class. <laughs> so is Hamlet really just a baby ham? Yes. That yeah. is correct. Yes. You must have hated that then. You're vegan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a, a danger room session. Everyone's there. Except for Spike. Spike misses it. He literally comes in as everyone is walking out. And Rogue, quote unquote, died. Because yeah. he was supposed to protect her. Spike was late. Storm calls him out. No one can count on you. I'm like, come on, really? Um, nah, it's true. You gotta get his shit together. I wish Spike would get a, a better spotlight than this. Yeah. This this episode doesn't doesn't do much for him. You know, like Boom Boom's episode started out like, you know, oh her being the prankster, her getting in trouble, and it ended up, you know, delving a bit more into her character. And for for me, this episode didn't do the same thing for for Spike. It didn't bring anything new to Spike. No, I I agree. And, you know, the things that they did for Boom Boom, even though they gave her, like, you know, these negative attributes, they, she still was, they still made her, like, a lovable character. Yeah. Like, despite her flaws, you know, she could be, you know, pulling pranks on people and doing, you know, minor bodily harm. And (laughs) we forgive her because we love her. And that's part of her charm. If they made him being a slacker and skipping school and stuff part of his charm, like they did with Gabriel and Gabriel Dropout, there's another anime reference. Yeah, everybody needs to watch that one, too. That's an amazing show. It's, like, endearing. Like, I loved Gabriel. But you can't just have that and not, like, do something else with it. Like, make it over the top. Make it extra. You know? I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I get I get what you're saying. And there are reasons why it doesn't work in, in this episode for Spike, and that stinks, because I think the idea of Spike is fine. One of my favorite things in this episode is Kitty and her pyramid hat. She <laughs> is worried she's worried about like this math test and this pyramid hat she gets in the mail is supposed to stimulate brain power. And it is adorable. When she shows up in front of Scott and she's got her hands on her hips and she's smiling all proud of herself with this pyramid hat on her head. I grabbed a screenshot of it because Kitty Pride has impeccable fashion taste no matter what universe she is in. And this episode <laughs> proves that. Fucking love her with the pyramid hat. It was it was really cute. And also it was geometry, which yeah. I specifically Remembered because I had such the problem with geometry in high school as well. I hated it. I had this really bad teacher who had the heaviest Russian accent and you could not understand what he was saying. I was like, are you even speaking English? Patty. I I did not understand anything in that class. I did so badly. I basically cheated on most of my tests. Yeah, it was not a good time. I even tried walking the slowest mile I could possibly walk in my gym class before that so I could miss the next class, my geometry class. I I spent like 22 minutes doing the mile (laughs) on the treadmill (laughs) before my teacher's like, Patty, you have to stop (laughs) Well, Patty, all you needed was a pyramid hat. I, he gave I mean, me a, my gym teacher gave me a zero on the mile too. <laughs> aw, that's fucked up. Who? Can, I mean, he's like you're not even trying. There's nothing wrong with a 22 minute mile, <laughs> um, really. But anyway, um, so Hank catches up with Evan in school and is talking to him. And Evan, you know, sees that Hank used to play football at Bayville High School. And Hank tries to give him, like, uh, this lesson in a roundabout way. He was like, yeah, uh, I played every year except for my freshman year. I goofed off as a freshman before I I, joined the team. And so, like, a little lesson there. So it's kind of like, yo, Evan, stop goofing off. Be part of your team. 
Yeah, it's not all about you. You're not the main character. You're not the center of attention. That's Wolverine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But during gym, you know, Hank has another, like, headache and attack and is, like, growling. Um, And Evan knows that something is wrong with him. Hank had said that, you know, Evan could make up for skipping class by memorizing this line from Shakespeare, which was, what, Hamlet, right? Is that it? Uh, I don't remember. I don't know the line that he was actually saying was from, but I did recognize one of the things that Hank was saying as Hamlet, so it's possible. So Evan's got to try to memorize this line uh, or verse or whatever, (laughs) and Kitty gives him the pyramid hat, and I thought that was funny. But Hank shows up at the mansion to talk to Xavier, and so apparently Xavier reached out to Hank when he was young, but Hank blew him off thinking that he could control his problem, he feels like there's this beast inside of him trying to get out and he's trying to control it. Um, and he's been using a serum and it doesn't seem like it's working anymore. And you know, it's, it's sad because Hank says that teaching is his life and he doesn't want to lose it. And that, that really is, you know, I mean, it really is, is sad that Hank is trying to control this other part of himself, you know, that's naturally trying to come out and Hank is doing his best to repress it. So there's this lab montage, which is very funny. Uh, at night at the school, Hank is using his chemistry tools to do chemistry. He is taking liquids and pouring them into other liquids. Um, there are bubbles. He's got buttons and burners, fires and bubbles, and some bubbles bubble over. So he pours some more liquids into other liquids, and then he takes a little powder, and he puts a little powder into the liquid. And then after all the chemistry science that he does, he drinks the liquid. <laughs> Uh, and then he flips out. He starts yelling and, and thrashing and breaking things. And Kelly finds him, but he finds a beast. But anyway, Kelly pulls a fire alarm and Hank runs off. And, uh, so this beast is rampaging through the city. You know, so the X-Men are trying to track him. And so Evan realizes if he's going to try to get his head together, he's going to the amphitheater in the park. And so this could have been actually uh, a really cool moment for evan but it wasn't and again like obviously we're talking about a fictional fictional character here somebody wrote this and so that's where i think they dropped the ball on on writing evan as a character um because we saw evan alone with hank at the beginning of the episode when hank was flipping out and trying to quote unquote get his head together you know obviously what's going on is this this beast part of hank inside is trying to get out and hank is trying to repress it Um, So he goes to the amphitheater to quote Shakespeare. Evan realizes this now and and goes there. He leaves the team behind to confront Beast alone, which, sure, was kind of dumb. But I think it could have been an interesting character moment or start or, or maybe it could have started to develop this bond between Evan and Beast if Evan helped Beast alone. But that's not what happened because then everybody else starts showing up. As Evan is trying to talk to Hank on his own, Logan runs in there and lunges at Hank. And so the two of them are fighting. Evan tries to recite the verse from Shakespeare that Hank wanted him to memorize. But then Kurt teleports Xavier in. And so Xavier is trying to telepathically help. So it's like, Evan, what are you even doing? How are you even helping? What was the point of memorizing this thing if that's not getting through? If it's more Xavier's telepathy that's getting in there and helping than you reciting this verse. You, do you know, am I making yeah, sense? No, I, I agreed completely. I thought that Evan alone was going to help Beast because this whole time it seemed like he had a special interest in Beast and that they could have had, you know, develop like a friendship or a mentorship or something, um, especially since they had like a lot in common. And, and, you know, um, when the team was yelling at him, like, don't run ahead, we, we stay together, I was like, oh, okay, so this is going to prove them wrong. This is, you know, his moment to show that he knows what he's doing, and sometimes you have to do things by yourself. Um, that's not what happens. <laughs> I thought that when he was going, when he was, you know, quoting Shakespeare, I thought that was going to be it and beast was going to like come to his senses again i don't think all the other stuff was necessary at all 
I was yeah. actually surprised to see, you know, Nightcrawler go in there and I'm like, what are they doing? Yeah. Um, I think that kind of definitely ruins the moment, you know, or at least to have that moment where Beast was like, Evan or something, you know, before Xavier like got all in his head and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. To show that like he actually did something, you know, I mean, it probably would have been silly if he just went back to normal after, you know, Evan said some words and then be like, oh, okay, now Xavier can like push the beast back in his head or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I get that and, and I agree because in a way you're, it's sort of like, you know, I think maybe I read it like you did and it's sort of like a mixed message here. It's like, oh, well, wait a second. On one hand, Hank is saying like, oh, become part of a team, you know, instead of goofing off. But at the same time, Evan is still running ahead at the end and yeah. trying to like quote this verse and help. And but wait, but now the rest of the team is there. But are they really working as a team? Because it's not that explicit. Maybe Evan could have said to Xavier, hey, listen, he's really into Shakespeare. This verse helps him. Can you help me get this verse into his head? Exactly. You saw like Xavier, like like Kurt teleport Xavier in and then Xavier and Evan in Hank's head doing this. But it sort of, you know, it it, it fell kind of flat. And what I think would could have worked even better is, you know, there's, I feel like there's um, the obvious metaphor here of this guy who is probably pushing middle age, like coming to terms with the fact that he is a mutant and that his life isn't going to be the same anymore. You know, use it for the metaphor of being gay, you know, as happens in in people's lives. It just, they cannot or will not accept you know, that they are not straight until maybe a little later in life. And so, yeah, there's that metaphor. But look at it as like, or even as like a physical, just keep it in in the mutantum and look at it as a physical mutation. And when you said this connection with Evan, I'm thinking like, okay, you have Hank McCoy, who now has this very obvious physical mutation. And think about Spike. What comic character does Spike remind you of? Marrow. Marrow. Okay, Marrow has a very obvious physical mutation. Maybe that same thing will happen to Spike, and maybe Spike and Hank, you know, because Spike and Hank have a bond from this episode, you know, it'll be more meaningful then if and when that happens. I don't know. Maybe I'm rambling on, and I'm saying so many things without a point. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But That's uh, my life. No, because I, I want to get my point across is that like this this fell short, this fell flat of like a coherent message. Um, it fell f- short of like a really good plot point, and you know I I I feel like it made Hank's character interesting, which is which is good, but we've had Spike for a while now, and I feel like they have yet to do more with Spike. Like, we get the the trope of, like, the angsty skateboarder, sort of loner, sort of slacker, but he hasn't gotten much depth yet beyond that. He hasn't gotten much personality beyond that yet. He hasn't gotten too many unique character moments beyond that yet. And, like, this was a perfect chance to do it, and the writers failed to deliver. No, I, I agree with everything that you said. Especially that, you know, it's just like a big mixed message. I feel like we also haven't seen too much of Storm. Yes, we still have know. (laughs) I don't know if that's like a racist thing. No, but yeah, but no, 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 say what it is, Patty. never around. Say it, call it what it is. These are two black characters that they don't really know what to do with. And fucking Storm, you would think, would be prominent in there, and she's not. You know, one of her best moments was her and Mystique fighting when Storm's line about like, I don't know what you're doing here, but this is my home, etc., etc. That was one of her best moments, and that's it. Yeah, and that was a while ago at this point. The two black characters who could and should be prominent are not getting the depth that they could and should be. 
I mean, I get that the focus, too, is on the kids. It's not like we've seen... I mean, we've seen Wolverine, obviously, but it's not like the Wolverine hour, you know, like every sure. other X-Men thing ever. <laughs> that That's... I mean, he did get his episode... Yeah, uh, but you still have a good point. It is not the Wolverine show, so you're right. But if we're saying we're sticking with the teens as the main characters of this show, then do something with Spike. Yeah, for sure. But you know, I, again, I did like what they did with Hank here. Um, I, I like how they how they introduced Beast here as him trying to repress something, as opposed to the comics where it was just him. You know, fucking around, experimenting. <laughs> fuck around, find out. <laughs> fuck around, fuck around, find out. You get a, you get gray fur, my friend, and it's gonna turn blue. Spoilers. You know, so I, I honestly, I was fine with the liberties that they took here. He was trying to repress something. He was trying to control something in this aspect of himself. He could no longer repress it. He had to let it out, and he had to accept it. And I really like how that applies to the metaphor in this situation. And, you know, it is, it's like a bittersweet ending. Now he looks permanently like this beast form. He accepts the name. He's now going by beast. And although, you know, the public knows that it was Hank McCoy and he's like this quote unquote fugitive, he's sad that he can't do what his passion is and teach anymore. No, 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 that's wrong. They've been saying that they need more staff at the school. Xavier says, no, you're going to be a staff member here. You're going to help teach mutant children. Bro, that is fucking perfect. That is perfect. How how much better could, could this end, honestly, than Xavier reaching out his hand and saying, like, you know, you're going to help mutant children now. You know, he's, it, it was just so it was nice. It was nice. I loved I loved that. This was great for Hank. Yeah. The, the you know, Principal Kelly, the town, they know who it was. And so now Beast has to hide. But he's in a place where he doesn't have to hide. He can be himself around Xavier, the X-Men, the new mutants. And he's in a place where he can help now. And he can be who he truly is. You know, so again, that's why I said kind of bittersweet, I think, so that'll do it for this episode of Mutant Musings Evolution. Thanks for joining us. And remember to leave us a comment on geekade.com. Leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes or anywhere else you find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast and on Twitter at mutant musings. Join us for episode eight in two weeks when we discuss Adrift and On Angel's Wings. And until then, Patty was right. I knew Risty was mistake.